Red Truck Investments for sponsoring today's episode of Inspiring Growth. Welcome to the Inspiring Growth Podcast. I'm Mark P. Fisher, your Chief Encourager with Inspiring Growth, along with author, comedian, and co-host, Amber Lee Neese. Welcome, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hey, there are two simple reasons why we are sharing these podcasts with you, to inspire and encourage. To inspire stories in your life by listening to the stories of ordinary people who, during economic struggle, found a way to start a new company or new career. That might be you. And second, to encourage all entrepreneurs in every different stage of your business growth to change our world for the better, one company at a time. By the way, thank you so much to Micah, who recently wrote on Apple iTunes, this podcast will inspire you. Micah wrote, if you're looking for something that will help stretch you, strengthen you, heal you, and opening you up to the infinite possibilities that await on the other side of your growth and look no further. The Inspiring Growth Podcast will definitely inspire you. Hey, Micah, thank you for that kind review. And folks, if you like our podcast, would you mind reviewing or rating it just like Micah did on Apple iTunes? Your five-star rating is like superpower. If you ever wanted to be a superhero, this is it. Because your ratings or reviews gives the podcast this Google juice so more people can hear it. And if you'd like to interact with me and Amber Lee and the growing number of podcast listeners, please join our private Facebook group, Inspiring Growth Podcast on Facebook. Thanks. All right, folks, thank you so much for your feedback from last week's first episode of Telling Short Stories. One of them was, hey, we want to get to know your new co-host, Amberly Neese. And Amberly, welcome! Thank you so much, Mark. I'm so glad to be here. I'm so stoked to hang out and play in the sandbox. <laughs> well, let me tell you, Amberly is one of those people who was a fan of the podcast. Tell folks kind of what inspired you as a result of the podcast. Absolutely. It was actually uh, one of the episodes that you had about fundraising and kind of an unorthodox approach to development. And I was so inspired that I listened to the podcast, called my friend Mark Fisher and said, holy kingfish, what a great idea. And I literally changed the strategy I was using. I was a development director at a nonprofit in my area. And it was so revolutionary to me that I decided, okay, here we go. Let's pivot. And, uh, and I did. It, it literally shaped the fundraising events that we did that year. And it was awesome. And it was, it was all thanks to the Inspiring Growth Podcast. And you know, Amberly, we want to inspire growth with great leaders and their brands. And it sounds like that happened. Tell us who you hired and what happened. Oh my gosh, it was so awesome. So I hired Bob Goff, uh, a little known um, author. <laughs> and uh, it was fantastic. It was so, so much greater than I had an, envisioned. But we had a fundraiser at a beautiful hotel slash um, event place in the Phoenix area. And number one, he brought it. It was so great. But just the strategy of getting people there and um, incorporating the use of finding captains to kind of oversee that was awesome. We also did one in our area. Hold, hold on, hold on. There's yeah. a phrase I love you use called capable captains. Talk about that. Yes. Oh, so capable captains came from 
when Jethro and Moses are talking and Moses is stressed out and as a leader, he is not, he is not inspiring growth uh, in the people around him because he is just <laughs> so fractured and, and overextended. And his father-in-law Jethro, which it's so great that uh, that he gets wisdom from his father-in-law, um, because in-laws are rarely right? the uh, genesis of um, wisdom for uh, for their offspring. But Jethro was an incredible leader and said, "Moses, you've got to find people who can lead specific areas." And for me, the kind of the theme, the the words that popped in my brain were capable captains. That's what Moses needed was capable captains, people that we could really invest in, inspire growth in them, and then watch them make disciples as far as leadership goes. It was pretty awesome for me when I was learning that idea, but that's what we incorporated. And it came from the Inspiring Growth Podcast. Wow. That's so encouraging. Thank you for sharing that, Amberly. And so you are both a comedian, an author, you're a fundraiser, uh, you're a mom, you're a wife, uh, raw cookie dough eater and a Star Wars fan. Oh, that you don't need that information. <laughs> just, just laying it all out there. So, because really, the the fourth was with us uh, just recently. What what did you do to celebrate Star Wars? Oh, May the fourth. Yes, absolutely. Well, first of all, um, May the fourth is huge in our family. We we watched the last episode of the Clone Wars, which was fantastic. It ended really beautifully. We watched The Rise of Skywalker and we quoted as many Star Wars movies as we could yesterday. So, uh, or, or whenever that was. Um, and then the day after, of course, is May the 5th, which is the revenge of the 5th. So we just keep the Star Wars theme going in our house. We are crazy. Oh if there's a 12-step program, it would be us. A 12-step Star Wars. All right. So plus you just, your newest first book just released. Yes. So awesome. Called The Belonging Project, Finding Your Tribe and Learning to Thrive. So we did a launch and uh, it's already sold out on Amazon, which is exciting. They may have only had like six copies, but boom, all six are Asta. And so, um, and so, yes, very excited about that as well. It's a pretty, pretty exciting season for me. I, I'm not going to lie. Star Wars and a book launch. It's kind of the, kind of the awesomeness of life right now. Right on, right on. Well, thank you for joining us. And you, you're about to tell a story about someone that is, it's very meaningful to you. It is. With, without revealing who it is, tell the last paragraph from your story. Yeah. So the reason I wanted to tell this person's story, number one, it inspires me. And uh, Mark, as you know, our listeners do not know, but recently I was let go from a job that I adored due to COVID. It kind of kicked my backside, seriously. And so uh, I was looking for inspiration and I came across this story. And um, the reason that it's meaningful to me is not only because it's inspirational and not only because this person has been an incredible mentor to me, you know, she doesn't know it. Um, but I have certainly uh, been inspired by her career. But she actually knew my grandfather uh, when my grandpa was a kid. Um, they came in contact with each other and the um, connection of the families was so strong that oftentimes she would come to family reunions at my grandfather's house so that uh, they could stay connected. So um, even uh, though I've never had the chance to meet her, I know. 
so awesome. So uh, it makes my heart sing that um, that I get to talk about her today. So thank you for allowing me the opportunity to do it. Right on, right on. And also, folks, if you want to tune in also to Amberly, she has a thing, cool thing called Marriage Date Night online through Facebook Live and other things. So uh, it's a bunch of comedy and just helpful uh, nuggets for uh, those of us who are married. So, all right, Inspiring Growth listeners, are you ready? Yes. Here we go. Story number one of the two-part for this episode of Inspiring Growth. Let's jump in. The growling of her stomach seemed to fill the entirety of the one-bedroom apartment. The depression was hard on everyone. Little food, limited resources, and a scarcity of work eroded at the morale and fiber of the American family. Things were especially hard on the daughter of divorced parents. Living with a hypochondriac grandmother who practiced Christian science, the young girl lived in squalor and filth. Her grandmother, Mabel Eudora White, would often remove her false teeth to amuse the young child, and the two survived on government relief and the strength of one another. Although other children in her neighborhood were similar in straits, this young lady had dreams that were grander and a fire in her belly that was stronger than others in her neighborhood. Looking back, the feeling that her parents' alcoholism was somehow her doing plagued her thoughts. She wanted to build a better life for herself and pursued a life in the unlikely arena of show business, fueled by the memories of hunger, poverty, and regret. She never forgot the kindness and hard work of her ailing grandmother and even incorporated a nonverbal signal on her television show to the matriarch to communicate that she was happy and healthy. She pursued a career as a playwright, but a university requirement mandated that she take an acting class. When she first heard laughter from her classmates for an assignment, she was hooked. They laughed and it felt great, she said. All of a sudden, after so much coldness and emptiness in my life, I knew the sensation, all that warmth wrapping around me. I'd always been a quiet, shy, sad sort of girl, and then everything changed for me. Although she did indeed find success in television and theater, the road of her personal life was littered with landmines. Divorces, bankruptcy due to an errant business manager, and the loss of a child proved to be huge setbacks. But this survivor of the Great Depression and a difficult upbringing grew stronger through it all. The television series on which she wrote and performed went on to earn eight Golden Globes and 25 Emmy Awards, quite an accomplishment indeed for a woman who became famous for bringing laughter to her audience. One of her most poignant quotes illustrates her philosophy on coming from such economic and personal hardship. She says, comedy is tragedy plus time. She has filled our homes with laughter and now her story can fill our hearts with hope. The great Carol Burnett is known for her incredible sense of humor, candor and talent, a true phoenix who rose from the fire of economic hardship. Let's just pause for a minute so I can introduce you to a really very inspiring man who's known struggle himself as well as, well, a near-death experience. His story is one of seeing needs and meeting them, and his name is Brian Tome. Sound familiar, Inspiring Growth listeners? Yep. Brian was the guest on the Inspiring Growth podcast where he shared his story of jumping off a river gorge 900 feet when his parachute malfunctioned, and he tells that story on one of our previous podcasts. You might want to go back and listen to that. Well, Brian has a fascinating company that helps people in distress. 
It's called Red Truck Investments, and I just love what they do. It's it's named after a 1951 GMC farm truck that Brian bought and restored to new life, kind of like what he does with Red Truck Investments. He buys houses, often houses that are a little run down and need a little TLC, sometimes homes that are in distress. And then he and his team breathe new life into that home, after which they either sell the new beauty or they rent it. One of Brian's clients, the family of an elderly widow who had to go into a nursing home, had a long-time family home that they didn't want anymore, so they called Red Truck Investments. Not only did Brian and Red Truck buy the house quickly at a fair price, but after it was beautifully renovated, Red Truck leased it to this grateful healthcare worker who now calls her home a sanctuary. Hey, listen, if you have a house you need to sell quickly, Start a conversation with Brian Tome on his cell phone at 302-383-8136 or go to redtruckinvestments.com. That's 302-383-8136 or redtruckinvestments.com. Helping distressed homeowners sell their home quickly at a fair price. Now, let's jump back in. In 2007... Just before the Great Recession, great time to start a company, Brian and Joe had this crazy idea, but it was born out of necessity. We all know the old saying, necessity is the mother of invention. Well, this story is one of perseverance and determination and overcoming fear, and most of all, just hustle. You see, without a job, Brian and Joe moved from New York City to San Francisco, <laughs> crazy, and were having terrible trouble trying to pay their rent. So they were looking for creative ways to earn some cash since they couldn't get a job. And they were buried in credit card debt. They had no real company direction and definitely no investors. It was during this time of looking around for opportunities that they noticed that all hotel rooms in the city were booked because of a huge convention. They thought, what if, what if we buy a couple of air mattresses and rent them for like 80 bucks a night? Hold on. You might be thinking, this sounds familiar. Yep. Brian and Joe co-founded Airbnb. The crazy idea of renting to strangers in their own home kind of succeeded, and the first Airbnb guests were a 30-year-old Indian man, a 35-year-old woman from Boston, and a 45-year-old father of four from Utah sleeping on their floor. But let me assure you, Brian and Jeff's company and story was anything but easy. As a matter of fact, the next step in their company growth, they actually started selling cereal called Obama O's and Captain McCain's during the presidential campaign of 2008, thus Air and Breakfast Airbnb. You know what? Rather than me trying to tell their story, as much as I wish I could have gotten Brian on the podcast, here's the second best thing. Take a listen to an excerpt from co-founder Brian Chesky. The first round of financing we did was the visa round. Well, what do I mean by the visa round? You know those binders you put baseball cards in? Well, we put credit cards in those. I, I actually have a binder with 20 or 30 credit cards. Joe and I were in so much debt. And by the way, I don't know if you, have you, maybe this is a unique thing to me. Maybe it's like my own neurosis, but like, I remember for the first two years we started the company, um, I would wake up in the morning 
and I would just have this like kind of panic. And maybe it was maybe this binder was part of that panic, but it was just like everyone thought it was crazy. No one supported us. We had no money. It was the best weight loss program ever. I probably lost 20 pounds, and I have any money for food. And I would wake up in the middle of the morning, like my heart pounding. I was like, how the hell did I get myself in this situation? Like, what am I doing? Like. And over the course of the day, I would, I would convince myself that everything's going to work out. No, 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 I got a plan. It's all good. And by the night, I would like, go to bed really confident. I was like, no, no, no. Now things are turning the corner. And I'd go to sleep, and it was like a reset button. All of a sudden, I'd be like, oh, and like, it would just jolt me out of bed again. My heart would start pounding again. And it was just like Groundhog Day. It was like every morning. It would be like this. And I don't think this binder really helped. So, you know. We launched for the Democratic National Convention. So we, this is August now, 2008. Almost a year after we had the original idea, we, you know, we built three versions of the website. There's a saying that if you launch and no one notices, just launch again. So we did. We launched three versions of the website. By the third version, it was the Democratic National Convention. All the hotels in Denver sold out. So we had this idea, what if we you know, basically got all these Obama supporters to open up their homes, other Obama supporters. We launched. Um, and I remember the day we launched, we um, had a meeting with a, a well-known um, investor, and the site was down. I didn't bring a slide deck, so that wasn't a super successful pitch. It was mostly just me and him staring at each other for an hour, um, and they did not invest. At this moment, we had about 20, um, 20 investors had been introduced to Airbnb, and I mean, any of them probably could have owned 10% of the company for $100,000. Because um, I think a million, I was willing to do 1.5 pre-money valuation as like a round of funding. That was like, it just puts things in perspective. Now, just to put it in perspective, that seems like today a good deal. Back then, no, like we were interested in 20 investors. I think like 15 of them didn't even reply to my email. I remember one of them, I was having a, um, I met with him at University Cafe. He ordered a smoothie. In the middle of the conversation, he just kind of gets up and leaves. And... I thought he had to part, like, you know, I thought it was like his, you know, his, uh, I figured, you know, like pretty naturally, like, oh, Joe, don't worry, he'll be back, his uh, car, you know, probably just need to put more money in the meter. And that's the last I've ever seen of him. So I, I don't think he's still trying to figure out where his car is, but that was like four years ago. So um, that was actually not unlike the stories of many of the people that like kind of met with us. So, you know, at this point, we were in debt, and we had to figure out a way to pay our rent. The Democratic National Convention had come. We filled up like about 80 people staying at Airbnb. And then the week after the convention, it was kind of back to zero. And I had this revelation of only there were political conventions every week. We'd have like an amazing business. But now what do we do? We built this website. We were spending a year on it. No one's using it. It was a, ch a chicken and egg problem. No one wanted to come to Airbnb and list their homes because there were no travelers. No travelers wanted to come to a website where there were no homes. And by the way, this was like a social experiment, right? Like, no one wants to be the first person to try an idea like this. You're like, oh, I wonder if this is a good idea. You know, I'll be the guinea pig. No one wanted to be that person to figure out if this was actually a good idea. Most people thought it was insane. And we had no way to get critical mass or network effects. So how do you get a network of critical mass in cities all over the world? We're in 34,000 cities. So one night, September 2008, without any money, Joe and I are, um, this is another kind of weird turn of the story, Joe and I are thinking about how the hell we're going to pay our rent, how we're going to get ourselves out of this debt, and how we're going to keep the company going. And we had this idea. We said, at the time, we were called Airbed and Breakfast. So half of our business was basically breakfast, if you think about it that way. And um, 
We're like, it would be great if we could provide breakfast to people going to the Democratic National Convention. And we were thinking, what would a breakfast be like what kind of breakfast would we provide for them? Well, we're not going to mail people perishable like eggs in the morning. What if we had like a branded like cereal? Cereal, something we can mail them. And we came up with this idea. And the idea we came up with was Obama O's. Basically Cheerios, we called them Obama O's. The breakfast of change. And we said, well, if we're going to have an Obama-themed cereal, we have to have a John McCain-themed cereal as well. So we came up with a John McCain-themed cereal called Cat McCain's. A maverick in every bite. So we designed these boxes of cereal. And um, we had absolutely no money. We figured we can like, get General Mills or we can get Kellogg's to actually, you know, we can license it to them. They can sell millions of boxes and we'll make hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that's how we were going to raise money because no one was going to raise money. By the way, this is fall 2008. A wonderful time to raise money for an idea to rent airbeds in your living room when you have zero experience and you don't know what TechCrunch is. So we called Kellogg's and General Mills um, and probably not to our surprise, they just did not pick up, and I think they even like, called security. We called local cereal companies, and they said, great, we're happy to work with you. All we need is a non-refundable deposit for $250,000. Like, who's going to print thousands of boxes of cereal? So Joe and I were just like hustling around. We meet this guy in Berkeley. He's an alumni of the Rhode Island School of Design. He's got a print shop, not a cereal company. And he says, guys, I want to help you. I can't print you 100,000 boxes of cereal, and I don't even have a cereal company, but I have a printer, and I'll print you 1,000 boxes, basically these die-cut boxes for free. And if you succeed and you sell these, just give me a royalty. Because he said that he wanted to help a fellow Brisbane alumni. And that's when we became what we call cereal entrepreneurs. And um, Joe and I literally were assembling these boxes in our kitchen. I mean, basically, we had 1,000 boxes. It's like poster board. And we're assembling them with hot glue. And by the way, they shouldn't call it hot glue. They should call it like burn glue because it's hot. <laughs> and I had a perfect one-to-one -one ratio of burn to box. And there were a thousand of these boxes. And I remember like, like we were like gluing all these boxes. We didn't even have, like, we didn't have any cereal. So we'd go to the grocery store to get cereal, but we didn't even have enough money to buy all the cereal boxes. So we would go every night to buy 50 boxes because that's all the money we had. And we went to like the really cheap grocery store because that's where you get dollar box of cereal. And Joe and I, I had to be like a spotter because like he was afraid something would happen to him in this grocery store because it was in a really bad neighborhood. And I remember at some point something like dawned on me because I'm in the middle of the kitchen. I'm assembling cereal boxes. I'm like, I wonder if Mark Zuckerberg was assembling cereal boxes when they first launched Facebook. I don't remember when it just like took off like him one year later assembling cereal. I wonder if this is a good sign or a bad sign. And I thought to all the other entrepreneurs that were in my predicament of one year later assembling cereal for a technology company, and that's when I kind of worried about our prospects. I remember one day my mom called me. She's like, are you guys a cereal company now? And the scary thing wasn't the question, but what the answer was, because I think technically we were at that point. Anyways, we had this idea. We mailed these boxes of cereal to press. And in a matter of a couple weeks, um, we had a pretty ingenious idea to how to get it out. We actually ended up selling $30,000 worth of cereal boxes. And that was our first round of financing. So, you know, this is now a year in, no money. We'd sold 30,000 boxes of cereal. We're like back to broke, which is like a great thing for me. And um, then that's when we decided to enter Y Combinator. And I remember meeting with Paul Graham, and he, the first question he asked me is, people are doing this, like the Airbnb? And we go, yeah, and he goes, what's wrong with them? <laughs> and that was the beginning of my interview. So I 
I could kind of tell, that, and that was like the highlight. It kind of went down from there. He just, he, halfway through the interview, he tried to convince us to like start a bank. And because he just is always trying to convince you to start a different business than when you tell him. And somehow we were going to be the company that starts a bank. I think that became Stripe. Um, but, um, and so, so at, we're about to leave. He thinks this is the worst idea ever. And then we hand him a box of Obama O's. And he basically says, if you can convince people to buy a $4 box of cereal for $40, maybe convince them to stay in other people's rooms. And um, so he led us into Y Combinator. All right, folks, there you have it. Two great stories of inspiration through financial struggle that led to amazing growth. Two people that who would have known? I would have never, honestly, Emily, I didn't know the backstory of Carol Burnett. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. I mean, Seriously, lots of obstacles in her way. So let's let's start with your observations from the Airbnb story. What, what were a couple of nuggets, some takeaways that you got? First of all, it's inspiring that anyone can afford to live in San Francisco, even if they have to get creative to do so. Uh, but I will tell you that um, one of the parts of the story that really just continued to echo with me is this idea of overcoming fear, that they mm. had to overcome fear in order to move ahead. And uh Years ago, I read a book called The Search for Significance by Robert McGee, and I remember fear is failure, exposure, aftermath, and rejection. Oh, the acronym FEAR. Now, I came up with the acronym only because I can, I can, I have the attention span of a gnat, so I always have to come up with ways to remember it, but these were the, like the nuggets from McGee's book. Got it. Fear is failure. We're afraid of failing. Exposure. We're, we're afraid of people figuring out who we are. Aftermath. Ooh. Repercussions. Mm -hmm. and rejection. And as I look at the story of these Airbnb guys, they faced all of those things. I mean, like, this is crazy. Um, so I was so inspired that in order to move ahead, they had to overcome fear um, of, you know, it, it could have been a harebrained idea that failed miserably. And yet they chose to, you know, go ahead uh, and, and look fear right in the eye, which I thought was great. Mm -hmm. um, I'm always inspired by when need and resources intersect. Um, mm. I have a silly saying that I say, it's like ingenuity. You're, you may be in a desperate situation and you feel a need to, um, to figure out with all the resources that you have um, how to use those best and um, stre strategically place them so that it's a win. So it's ingenuity and winning. Yes, exactly. So it's ingenuity, which is great. Um, I guess if you made poor choices when you did it, it would be singenuity, but that's another. Oh, another. hello. Hashtag <laughs> Bible joke. <laughs> I know it. I know it. But it was, they were, they were propelled by need, not greed. You know, as, as I looked Ooh. through their stories, I listened to the story. It wasn't saying that they were trying to get rich. They weren't trying to do snow angels and money. They were just <laughs> trying to, yeah, they were just trying to make ends meet. And so it was need, not greed that kind of propelled them. I thought that that was super great. Um, mm. I also loved the mm. humble beginnings. I love that they, they, you know, if you could get on Airbnb now and you, and you read some of the feedback, there are people that are like, you know, um, I want a mattress that's been, um, baptized in essential oils. And I went <laughs> like, um, there should be fresh flowers at all times. And my socks should be picked up by a stranger. I mean, all this kind of stuff, but that's not how Airbnb started. It started with these 
these humble beginnings where these guys didn't even do, they didn't even, they didn't even let people use their beds, the nicest beds in the house. They put air mattresses on the floor mm-hmm. and 80 bucks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I loved, gosh, what it, what an inspiration to me is I'm thinking about, um, what to do in the next season of my life that it need not be grand. Um, but, uh, but that it, it's humble beginnings sometimes are, are beautiful, fertile ground for amazing growth. Yeah. That's, that's, those are great observations. I, I mean, I'm an Airbnb, uh, user all the time. Lori and I are going to, uh, Texas uh, in a couple of weeks for a wedding for Lori's brother where we booked an Airbnb. I'm a fan. I, when it first came out, it was like, I was fully engrossed in the hospitality industry. And I said, Hey folks, pay attention. This will yep. affect the world as we know it. Yep. Yeah. Good, good, good observations. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, and was there any part of the Airbnb story that, um, stoked your fire? Well, I guess, you know, as a founder of Inspiring Growth, I've, I've realized that I, if Inspiring Growth was a river going through the Colorado River, going through the Grand Canyon, I realized sometimes it meanders. <laughs> you don't always know you just you're on this path and you're moving forward and you're doing your best you can and you're paying attention to what's happening and you and you pivot and sometimes the meander is the path yes which i loved how uh one of the founders moms were like so you're a serial business now i don't know if it's true but the phrase serial entrepreneur definitely emerged from this story <laughs> better than serial killer that's all i have to say Ooh, yes thank you on to the story about Carol Burnett. All right. First of all, confession. I am married for 32 years to a Texas-born redhead. Uh-huh. So I, I'm drawn to this story, Amberly. Absolutely. By the way, your uh, your Texas redhead is gorgeous and mm. fantastic and smart. And she puts up with your shenanigans, which is also one of my favorite traits about Lori. <laughs> But I appreciate uh, the PG version of the truth. (laughs) (laughs) What does she think about Carol Burnett? Is she a fan? I haven't asked her. Ah, well, you can imagine as a comedian, I am such a fan of Carol Burnett. She was, oh, she was such a pioneer way before Tina Fey. There was Carol Burnett and which I'm a little worried of our new, our younger audience that might never, never heard it. So please go out and Google Carol Burnett. All right. So here are a couple of takeaways from her story that, touched me mm-hmm. what a crap load of junk she was carrying around you betcha red rider absolutely for another episode we can talk about this issue with me but you know my dad was killed in a plane crash when he worked when he was in the air force and i was five years old and there is this thing inside me that i carry secretly desires his approval but i'll never get it mm. And I just imagine on so many levels that Carol Burnett wanted the approval, the affection, the love, but she was like, like her bucket was empty. You bet. And yet she found a path that was something that just made the world a better place. So I I think, I think one of the lessons is it doesn't matter how, how heavy the, the sack you're carrying is, you can still find a way to make the world better. Absolutely. I actually had a comedy coach that said she was concerned 
because she said, even though you are terribly funny, you don't have issues to your tissues. What does that mean? It means that comedians often draw from this deep well of hurt in order to bring a, uh, in order to bring humor. And I think, how, first of all, what a sad commentary, if we yeah. feel like that's where comedy must come from. Yeah. Um, but, uh, oh, 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 sweet friend. Uh, I clearly have issues to my tissues. I am so, so in touch with the fact that I am broken and, mm. uh, and I do draw on those things, but obviously Carol Burnett had more than her fair share of garbage, uh, yeah. which she needed to, to, to yeah. sort. Hunger, yeah. poverty, yes. uh, alcoholism, just rejection. So the other thing, uh, the second takeaway and the, and the other only other takeaway I'll talk about is the fact that she went to college, she was going to study playwriting, and then she was required to take this other class. Mm-hmm. And this other class is the class that actually opened her up, which was the acting class. So the meandering came the path. Yeah. I like to say it this way. Perhaps some detours are not always detours. Sometimes they're the path. Better than my quote for sure. But oh, so good. That's right. Jenny Majors gave me that one. We should keep her. Well, folks, thank you so much for tuning into the Inspiring Growth Podcast. Thank you for just being both a listener, an encourager, a fan. But here's what we really hope, that these stories will get inside you. And these stories will inspire you and encourage you to look around in the world that needs what you've been dreaming about, but been too freaking afraid to do. Right, Amberly? Absolutely. Absolutely. So folks, thanks for tuning into the podcast. Please rate, review it, share it with your friends. Jump over to the Facebook page, Inspiring Growth Podcast. It's a private page. Let us know what you're thinking. And we'll also probably uh, call out anybody that's doing reviews on a future podcast. And remember, if you really want to inspire growth in the connections with your friends and family and even strangers, remember, be kind, be present, and ask good questions. I'm Mark P. Fisher with co-host Amberly Neese. Thanks for being a part of Inspiring Growth. Thank you, Dylan Garvin, for producing this podcast. We'll see you next week.